It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, July 12th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Two more positive cases of coronavirus were reported in Sitka Friday as the city continues to stay at a high alert level. In the last week, five hospitalizations have been reported, almost doubling Sitka's hospitalization rate for the entire pandemic, with 11 total. Since the beginning of the pandemic, local health officials have reported 426 local coronavirus cases. 31 cases are active, according to city data. The governor's budget vetoes earlier this month, over $1.1 billion worth, include a significant hit to Sitka. For legislators like Sitka Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins, the governor's vetoes seem punitive and don't move the state toward a sustainable solution for its budget shortfalls. Instead, as Governor Dunleavy discussed in his July 1st press conference, he's trying to to leverage support for a constitutional amendment that would split the earnings of the permanent fund between dividends and state government and make up the rest through an unspecified tax, which even conservative Republicans like Sitka's Senator Burt Stedman say does not add up. Christ Tompkins, a Democrat, has agreed to co-chair a bipartisan working group to come up with a fresh plan for the state's finances and to do it before the legislature reconvenes in a special session this August. KCAW's Robert Woolsey recently called Christ Tompkins to discuss the outlook for the Joint Fiscal Plan Working Group and its ambitious goal. It seems like uh, the governor is still trying to leverage support for his 50-50 permanent fund dividend plan, which just, as far as I know, doesn't have the support in the legislature to pass. Is he just exercising a bit of muscle with the veto pen here? I just wonder what you feel about sort of the context of the vetoes. Yeah, I think the governor is frustrated, and the vetoes reflect that frustration, and he's frustrated in part because he doesn't have support from the legislature or arguably from Alaskan for what he's proposing. And his constitutional amendment proposal requires a two-thirds supermajority, as any constitutional amendment does, in the legislature. And I don't think he even has a simple majority for it. So he is far, far away from this ever being a reality. And that's just a fact. That's not where, you know, legislators aren't there and Alaskans aren't there who, who we represent. What does the working group hope to accomplish between now and August 2nd? The, the premise of the working group is to pull together eight legislators from diverse backgrounds, diverse districts, to try to, in effect, create a grand compromise, like to solve it all, taxes budget cuts, constitutional amendments, permanent funds, PSD, all of it. All of it is within scope, and our charge is to see if we can somehow, in some fashion, um, work towards some number of consensus findings that can be the basis of passing legislation. Um, so it's a, it's a incredibly ambitious premise. Everybody knows it's needed, regardless of where you are. Everybody recognizes that the status quo is failing Alaska. Politically untenable, it's mathematically untenable as far as the budget goes. Um, And so this is a process that 
is being offered, and you know, the worst that can happen is that we don't succeed, and we're back where we were anyway. Um, but this is an attempt to try to pull together all the disparate necessary components of a of a big compromise to um, put to bed a lot of the issues that have been the devil in Alaska over the last number of years. What are your feelings about the possibilities of success for the working group? I mean, the legislature, it's 60 people, and it's hard to get folks, you know, on the same page in this group. Do you see the task as achievable? Fortunately, it can't really make us go backwards from where we are, so I think that's important. And the best thing that can happen is that we actually have some breakthroughs, and Strange as it might sound, in this sort of low-grade chaos and freneticism of the legislative process, there's actually not really time and space and process that provides for these really, really big-picture conversations. I mean, I think there's actually half a chance that we can have productive conversations and and progress, and so. I think it's absolutely worth giving it our very best shot. And again, you know, if we don't succeed, which is entirely possible, we're exactly where we are when we started. That's Sitka Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins speaking with KCAW's Robert Woolsey about the Joint Fiscal Working Group in the legislature, which he co-chairs. Other representatives in the group include Calvin Schrage, an Anchorage Independent, Ben Carpenter, a Nikiski Republican, and Kevin McCabe, a Big Lake Republican. The Senate members include Lyman Hoffman, a Bethel Democrat, Shelley Hughes, a Palmer Republican, Scott Kowalski, a Fairbanks Democrat, and Jesse Keel, a Juno Democrat. Within the glaciers and mountains near Juneau, there's seismic activity almost every day in the summer. They're called ice quakes, and while they are not as widely understood as earthquakes, researchers are monitoring them closely. KTOO's Matt Miller has the story. This is a big iceberg in Antarctica, either scraping against the ocean bottom or another iceberg. It's called an ice quake. It's one of many types and probably quite similar to what has been happening almost every day for the last few weeks in the mountains and glaciers near Mount Ogden, about 40 miles directly east of Juneau. Southeast Alaska made headlines in some blogs and online news sites recently with some people connecting them to the area's recent heat wave. Fact is, scientists have been studying them for a long, long time. They are not anything new. Seismologist Natalia Rupert of the Alaska Earthquake Center says there were 360 ice quakes in the area last year, including some significant shakers. They were up to magnitude 3, and magnitude 3 is a quite significant signal that some of those ice quakes were reported to be felt in Juneau, so those were quite large. This year, the ice quake started in May, with a big spike in activity starting four days before late June's heat wave in southeast Alaska. For those of you who might be new to ice quakes or glaciology, let's get a few things out of the way first. Scientists can't see or feel the quakes themselves, so they use seismometers. That's the same tool or piece of equipment that they use to detect earthquakes and measure their intensity. Ice is always moving, ice is always deforming and cracking, 
And every time it moves, deforms, or cracks, it creates some energy that propagates in a form of seismic waves. And our seismic sensors are able to record that energy. Icequakes actually may be caused by many different things. A glacier scrapes against the bedrock, or a crevasse might open up. In Greenland and Antarctica, giant icebergs slowly breaking away from glaciers create vibrations that can be detected around the world. In Antarctica, scientists detected seismic activity which revealed how a giant river of ice lurches ahead into the ocean every 12 hours as the tide rises and falls. So how do scientists know the difference between an earthquake and an icequake when they're looking at the data? Turns out that data looks and even sounds different. You know those squiggly and jumpy lines on a seismometer graph as it records an earthquake? If you were to convert that to a sound file, the magnitude 9 earthquake in Japan in 2011 would sound like this. While icequakes, like this calving iceberg in Greenland, don't have a lot of high frequencies and they start more gradually. Earthquake. Icequake. Earthquake. Icequake. Hear the difference? Glacial seismologist Rick Astor of Colorado State University says they've actually known about icequakes around Juneau, Wright Glacier, and Mount Ogden for decades. As the glacial ice flows down the valleys, Astor says friction and obstructions can slow it down. But then temperatures rise every spring and summer, and snow melt and rainfall increases. The seasonal influx of water into the glacier can make it more likely to slip. And in this case, the annual cycle of melting water and water getting under the glacier drives a seasonality to the uh, occurrence of these ice quakes as the glacier slips at its base. Astor says there are even practical applications for seismometers to detect ice quakes created by glacial outburst floods. This is happening in Iceland now, for example, where they have enormous glacier floods and the seismometers can detect when the water is coming out of the ice cap before it appears on the surface. That was actually done very close to Juno's Mendenhall Glacier a few years ago. A temporary seismometer was able to detect the ground shaking during a yokelop, or a glacial outburst flood, because of the force of all that water gushing through cracks in the glacier. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Matt Miller. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.